Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business, and quite literally, reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, it's nice to see you again. It's been a while. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like this video and subscribe to my channel. Today, I have my first, at least as far as I know of, my first Australian guest on. So we're going global. Very excited about this. So Brett Turley, who is my guest today, is really cool. He has such a fascinating background. He specializes in helping fast growth companies, busy professionals like you and me, think less and move more. Using his experience that he gained in his special operations experience, through two deployments to Afghanistan and fast growth tech startups, he actually knows a thing or two about resilience, high performance, and most importantly, how to shape the habits that get you there. So I'm really excited to talk to Brett today. And for you to hear this episode, be sure to check out the show notes so you can learn more about Brett and connect with us both on socials. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I have Brett Turley with me, and I'm super excited to have you on, Brett. And I already introduced you in the beginning, but I really want you to share with the audience what you're all about and why you're here. And I'm so glad for you to be here. So I will pass you the mic. Thanks so much for having me, Tracy. It's um, it's good to be on. Um, so probably I'll start with current state. So right now, so everyone can sort of understand where sort of my insights and opinions are coming from. I run a small startup at the moment, focusing on reducing burnout and employee churn. Uh, so with the lockdown uh, and everything going on in the world the last couple of years, I jumped back into the uh, fitness industry or health and wellness industry and realized there was a, um, a very distinct gap between the current corporate wellness model and what I want to go and build. So that's where I am current space. My background sort of has meandered around and sort of left me to this point. But right now it's definitely in that startup life, working long hours and not getting paid very much because I love the job. Amazing. So I'm just going to take that and really jump into it because you have an incredible story when I first connected with you on LinkedIn or when you connected with me, however it went. And I heard more after we spoke on the phone just about who you are and your experience. I thought that the listeners really of this podcast would connect with you as well. So, you know, with this incredible story, I would love to hear how you went from serving in two deployments to Afghanistan to then landing these roles in fast growing startups and now really having your own thing going. Yeah, sure. Uh, it is a bit of a different sort of non-traditional um approach into this type of field. Um, so currently, like if we look at most corporate wellness models, they're either run or built by uh, HR executives or psychologists and things like that. And then and then my, my experience is, is, is exactly that. It's experience coaching hands-on with thousands of people. But the, um, the first sort of experience since I left school was joining the military at the age of 17. Um, and I was lucky enough to become a, an explosive detection dog handler. So for those that don't know what that is, it's a person that walks around Afghanistan looking for bombs that are buried, that are very hard to find. 
So I was lucky enough to spend two rotations there. Um, our Australian deployments uh, were a little bit shorter than our US counterparts because I worked a lot with the US when I was there. I spent a total of 14 months there and finished up in special operations. So if we talk in terms of like high performance mentality, that's where I sort of developed or observed a high performance culture and got to be integrated within that. Um, and that was really good to understand what a high performance mindset is and the ongoing effects post deployment that people often struggle with as well. Not in the sense of just like the PTSD that people mention or that's popularized or brought into the mm -hmm. mainstream, but more so the, um, the potential for burnout, the ability to push through with the mental resilience side of things and how that can then obviously affect your long term. Um, so that was my first sort of experience mm. with um, uh, a lot of risk, uh, hypervigilance and things like that, which I'll loop back into why it's relevant for companies in a second. But then in 2013, I got out of the military uh, because I had an option of going back for the third time or getting out. So I had a busy trip the second one. I worked mm. a lot with the, uh, the USDEA on my second rotation. Great, great experience. Loved every minute of it, but um, I was burnt out. I was tired. Uh, so that was probably my first experience mm. of burnout. But then what I did off the back of that was start my own gym uh, and started my career in health and fitness based off a bit of feedback that I was a, a good coach. And I coached a lot in my early days in the military. Uh, I coached my first junior rugby team at the age of 15. So it's always been a consistent part of my life. Cool. But then I went and built a business with no business experience. We talk about that entrepreneurial journey had no idea of how to build a business, decided it'd be a good idea. Um, I was very fortunate that I had a large amount of mental resilience established from my time in the military, but that also came at a cost. Uh, after about four years of just constantly not taking holidays, not paying myself much or not paying myself at all, it re and a few other personal things happening in my life, um, I just burnt out again. And I hit this recurring thing of, working hard for two to three, four years and then hitting burnout. So then I pivoted my career, mm. uh, I went into recruitment. So that's where my HR experience started. And in that mm. time, I, I, I started with high volume, blue collar industrial style recruitment and then moved to technology careers and found myself um, in, a, in a fast growth startup in Australia that was founded by military veterans. And that's where I went into the product space uh, building HR software or helping the team build up, build HR ecosystems uh, that were for veterans and HR professionals to use, so talent mobility. Um, so that's sort of where it all went. And then through the, the phase of COVID, I kept getting asked this same question by all my uh, co-workers. How do you stay fit through lockdown? Because I, I got fitter in lockdown. I ended up getting back out to running ultra marathons and things like that. Uh, a six-hour run on the weekend. Yeah, a six-hour run on the weekend was uh, was normal for me at the peak of lockdown because it, it was just a great way to get out and and clear my head. I used to – I didn't run with music. I just ran in the middle of nowhere by myself. It was quite therapeutic That is in my so mind. hard. Yeah. <laughs> people think, I, like, running for six so hours hard. is bad enough, but there's worse people out there than me, but apparently it's not normal. Um, but – Anyway, so we, we saw, I yeah. kept getting asked this recurring question is how do I stay fit during lockdown? And what I did was I really drilled down into the psychological side of it, not in like a research perspective. I'm not 
I'm not someone that says I did my research and all I did was a Google search, but I started to look at my experience and then looked for evidence points about um, the psychological process of like isolation, lockdown, burnout, and mm. things like that. So I built this this program based on a bit of habit shaping psychology. Um, some psychologist friends that have looked at it said it's borderline cognitive behavioral therapy. So it just improves people's self-awareness. That's all that means. Um, and then just some really easy workouts you could do at home that required no equipment. So there was zero barriers to entry. There was numerous touch points where it could keep people motivated and moving. And then I obviously was coaching inside of it. But what we found was this incredible little thing that helped a, get people fit and healthy, but then B, help improve all of those lifestyle and burnout related risk factors like stress and management and managing those sorts of things as well. Uh, so then it's kind of been a recurring passion or inspiration point in my whole, in my career. I, I decided to make the jump out of the startup. So by that stage, they were very busy being the fastest growth startup in Asia mm. Pacific at the time. Um, and I decided to jump out of a steady, well-paying job to start my own start my own company again. So that's that's led me to here. Wow, I mean that's a pretty like I said, incredible story. I'm super inspired by just your trajectory and what you've done with your experiences overall. And you know, one of the things that you just said is that this is a recurring passion for you. So I would love to know when you first kind of like realize that you're, you have this passion for improving corporate wellness and, and where that all came from. If we talk about it at a team's level, it came at my very, like formative years as a teenager working in, uh, playing in, in, in team sports. Uh, so I always had a, a large inclination to look after the team above my own sort of interest as a team member. Um, I've always assumed naturally just a, a leadership role in most teams I've been in purely because I believe to lead by example. Uh, and then in the military, uh, going through promotional courses and things like that and being put in positions where I was managing and leading teams. That followed into the, to the, the gym space where you're looking at, at, at building culture mm -hmm. and community inside of a gym. And anyone that's built a community-based small business knows how important that is to keep the lights on. Uh, because it's one of the key building blocks to any successful yeah. small business. Uh, you can't just put structure around a small business and hope it works. Uh, you can't just give them a bunch of SOPs and go, read this and then see you later. Um, so that, <laughs> Good luck, that right? reinforced, yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's what we, what we sort of miss sometimes we're dealing with people and then the fitness side, I was mm. dealing with people one-to-one -one and you get these busy professionals that are earning 150, 200, half, uh, half a million dollars a year. Some people, some of these clients that used to come to me and they'd be burnt out, they'd be tired. And then learning how to sort of move the needle on an individual level allowed me to then use my HR experience and then working in these sort of environments to then build something out that was tangible across teams and now organizations as we see this roll out. That's brilliant. I, I, I really like what you said about, you know, you starting with the individual, because one of the things that struck me when we first spoke, you know, as we were kind of fleshing out the ideas for this episode is that, you know, what, 
really there's there's a breakdown in wellness and it's not necessarily a breakdown at the individual level but really at the corporate level which does impact the individual maybe there is a breakdown at the individual level you're really the expert here but when i think about that that and we'll talk about this but when i think about that breakdown and why corporate wellness programs are like the number one topic in in benefits for for companies and corporations, but the most underutilized resource, which we'll also get to later, I, it makes me think that there are so many ways that we could just like revamp corporate wellness. And, and I think that leads me to my question here, which is that, you know, understanding that that wellness model, whatever that looks like, the current wellness model is there's a breakdown, it's broken somewhere. How, how can you kind of bring some awareness to the listeners to what that means, like why it's broken. And if you have any data or statistics to share, it would be great for, I think, for the listeners to really understand the level at which you're, you're really seeing this breakdown. It's a multifaceted problem. Uh, I think the moment you entrust a HR manager, so I'm on the HR manager's side in this perspective, the moment you entrust a HR manager to solve these problems, is the moment it fails. Having a central point of failure and someone that's probably already overtasked and overworked and has many balls to juggle is a really quick way to fail at the whole program, right? I know with the emergence of uh, people and culture positions and, and those sorts of things coming into companies now, it's giving, person, giving a person that sole responsibility. But even then, they're, they're still across many, many arms of the HR realm. It's not just as simple as hey, build us a wellness program and it's going to work. So statistically, though, 50% of, the, I'd say, the Western world or uh, the developed world has access to a wellness program, right? So pe people go, that's pretty good. Um, mm. People would assume that this would, be, this would be a good thing. But inside that, if we drill down into the statistics, there's roughly a less than 10% adoption rate for these wellness programs that have been installed. So basically what that means, if we're looking at it in terms of black and white, the, t uh, the wellness programs that the HR managers are installing or the companies are bringing on have a 10% adoption rate, which is pretty abysmal. Um, and if we, look at, mm. if we look at that in the impact of cost versus reward, um, there's a lot of studies showing there's only about forever, the ROI is about $1.50 for every dollar spent for just lifestyle-related um, wellness programs, so yoga, uh, activity-based things. And then for complex health mm -hmm. conditions like diabetes, blood pressure, it's about $3 or $3.50. Um, I'll have to dig up the study that shows that. Um, but so what that tells me, if we pull apart all of that, 10% adoption rate, small ROI means they're either not being uh, established or implemented correctly, or they're the wrong products altogether. Mm. And with, with what the focus of yeah, with the focus of my company, uh, and what, what I'm seeing is if you make it interest-based, so based on the employee's interest and having multiple streams of engagement, so if someone who is fit, healthy, looking after themselves has a completely different needs uh, analysis to someone that is sedentary looking to get back to activity, the moment you put those people together, there's problems. They can't compete against each other. There's no, ref com there's no commonality to make them feel normalised. They just feel mm -hmm. like... They look at Joe over in sales that's killing it, fit as a fiddle, and then someone in the back office that literally <laughs> is paid to sit on their bum all day. Um, they're, they're looking at mm -hmm. that going, I can't do that, and it discourages people from the program. So making 
interest-based wellness programs that are based on data from your organization is where it needs to go. Otherwise, you're simply just throwing things at a wall and hoping something sticks. Wow, that's really interesting. I, while you were sharing that, I was thinking about my own uh, involvement in the wellness model at my company. And I don't necessarily lead the selection process, but I definitely... Like, you know, I try to take advantage of anything that is coming my way, like whether it's free or anything. It's like if I can get, you know, a Peloton for a discount, like I'm going to do it. You know, that those types of programs or even, you know, I, one of the things that I think about that is that I really should be taking advantage of that I never do are the the rewards in dollars when you when you show that you've worked out a certain number of days out of the month your insurance will actually give you back like 2 or 300 dollars and I've never taken advantage of that and it's something I mean that ne isn't necessarily like an example of the breakdown in the model because there are so many other things that that I'm sure those statistics talk about when the when talking about the 10% adoption rate, but as someone who is in HR, who is fully involved in what those programs could look like, I mean, it's, it's kind of pitiful <laughs> that I'm not taking advantage of all of those programs. It's no, it comes, it drills down to an individual's level or value set, right? So if someone's driven mm -hmm. by uh, money or money's tight, they're going to engage in those types of reward programs to redeem credits for someone who has fitness establishes as part of their life, they're going to engage in fitness-related activities. But for instance, if you look at a busy parent, single parent, for instance, uh, that's got multiple kids or even just one, one child that they need to come home, look after, get up in the morning, get to school, that sort of stuff, simple things like introducing like vouchers for pre-made meal kits or subscriptions to get home-delivered meals, having that burden taken off that mm. individual then reduces the cognitive load of the individual, which frees their time up and their mental space to then go and engage in a fitness-related activity if they want. But instead, we're like, we're going to do four weeks of yoga. And everyone's like, what, what about half the population that doesn't enjoy it or is currently training themselves and it doesn't fit with their, site, their, their, their goals and, and things like that? So understanding... That would be my first tip with building a product or wellness program that's actually going to stick uh, would be use a data-driven approach. Uh, find find the, the, the needs or the, the things your employees are commonly requesting. And if you don't have the budget to do all of them, which is probably fairly realistic, pick one. On average, the people voted for this. Mm. This is what we're doing. Um, and then it shows show them the data as well. Show actually be transparent with it. Show mm. them this is what people voted for. So they're not just simply thinking you're steering an agenda. Give them something that they vote for that they want. Mm. Test, 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 reiterate, improve on the model. Once you embed that one element, maybe look at a second piece. Um, there's a million ways to do it, but using a data-driven approach based on a user-led feedback system gives people stuff they want to use. And they do it really well in the, in the right. generic fitness industry right now. Look at how popular fitness is in regards to how many niches there are. You can go learn how to do Pilates mm -hmm. one day and then be a CrossFit guru the next. Like we do interest based yeah. really well in general fitness population marketing, but in corporate wellness, we haven't seen that transition in there. 
Um, and then the corporate wellness companies either give too generic advice where you see these poor adoption rates or it's a risk mitigator. They don't want to give training just in case someone gets hurt, uh, which is, I know it's a very complex field, but there are numerous ways around yeah. it, like screening, assessments. Uh, I know the healthcare system is vastly different here in Australia, but you've got all sorts of levers you can pull to engage healthcare for people to help get them on the right track. I mean, it's really fascinating when you break it down. And, and this really, I think, is the perfect segue into the next question because we're really, we've kind of touched a little bit on the mental health piece, but the the biggest thing that you mentioned before is like looking at how isolation and COVID have really impacted human beings, like people, employees, yeah. everyone. At the end of the day, we're talking about individuals and, and it definitely goes without saying that COVID has had an incredible impact on just overall well-being and mental health especially. And I know my listeners are so tired of hearing me talk about COVID because I constantly talk about the impact from the employee perspective, the employer perspective. But really, I would love to hear from you on specifically what are what some trends are that you're seeing that are improving employees' wellness as a result of the awareness that we have that COVID has had this, you know, great impact on us. And then, you know, kind of, on top of that, how can the listeners who might be struggling with wellness or mental health make a, a positive change today or tomorrow? Yeah, so let's let's remove the lockdown piece and just go from st some statistical data as well, which is going to help sort of make, even though we're talking about lockdown, how it's amplifying things, $2.2 trillion <laughs> a year is lost through the US economy alone from poor productivity and mental health. Average claims a lot of money. for sick leave and also claims in compensation in Australia alone are three times more expensive than injuries or other work-related conditions. So if you think it's not a problem, look at the numbers alone. That probably should mm -hmm. set some alarm bells off. Um, the problem is too with mental health and those types of related conditions, it's a very touchy subject. I get that. If we talk in, type, in terms of a corporate environment, um, when the going is good, people are happy, people are consistent, they get to live relatively well-balanced lives. But when you look at high performers specifically, they're always the first ones to burn out because they wear the burden of the team. They're the high-performing managers, high-performing salespeople, and they burn out. Then they usually leave the job. And they just they describe it as, I want to go to a better opportunity. Sometimes there is a better opportunity to earn more money and that sort of stuff. And that's definitely the way the economy is going with uh, accepting roles above your current one to get yourself promoted to accelerate progression because everyone wants it, wants it now. But if we're talking burnout related exits of companies, it's because they just simply are tired and they think that reprieve will come by moving to another role. So you can reduce churn by focusing on high performers and helping them establish good routines. But then also mental health generally, some people are just going to have those problems in their life when things go wrong, and that is perfectly okay. Life isn't nice. Off the back of two deployments, losing lots of friends to suicide, post the Afghan era, uh, lots of stuff happening in my life personally, I know what depression does. I know what PTSD does. And the thing that I was drilling onto earlier the physiological markers or the stress-related response based for someone that has been to Afghanistan on deployments 
versus someone in a high-paced or high-pressure environment at work is exactly the same. So mm, instead of wow. thinking like, oh, this guy's got an amazing story, I don't, I don't really have that much of an amazing story compared to some of the guys that I have operated with. Some of these people are phenomenal individuals. Um, but the physiological and stress-related responses are the same. And what my version of heart is, is exactly the same as what your version of heart is. So it's perception. Perception is reality. So that normalizes the response, right? I look at it in the sense, if you're stressed, you're stressed. Um, if you have a perceived low resilience, yeah, we can work on that. If you need time off, yes, we can put structures around in place like taking leave and those sorts of things. So treating everyone normally in, through the cycle is the first tip from, from a HR perspective. Um, you don't have to be a high performer to suffer mental health related issues. You're usually just the first to burn out, just the way you're mentally driven mm. Uh, and the way you're designed to operate. That's that's pretty pretty normal in high-performance environments, uh, particularly uh, growth stage companies where you're having to hire a lot of people and then those people might need more time to get up to speed and you're wearing the burden of that type of thing. That's my experience in the startup world, I guess. Um, high-performers having to then become leaders that then still have to do a lot of the legwork that their team is still learning and the growth metrics in the company are driving you to do that type of thing. Uh, so that's that's pretty typical. But then if we talk about from a personal level now, you're the sum of your own habits, right? And what COVID has done has presented this perfect storm of if you're a little bit unsettled in an element of your life, it gets exacerbated. It becomes a bigger issue. If you're unlucky enough to have lost your job through the pandemic and things like that, that's going to cause a few issues. But there are things you can do that do not cost any money, that do not take much time to start establishing good habits and keep persisting through it. And depending on how you've been brought up and your value structure, that's all going to obviously shape what you perceive to be valuable. So if we talk in terms of really easy takeaways, regardless of lockdown, uh, let's talk about someone that's stressed, looking at close to burnout or just needing to establish better habits in their life. First thing is that data-driven approach again. Track everything. We've all got these little wearables on our arms these days, yet, and we've got these beautiful devices called mobile phones, yet we spend half the time looking at cat memes. <laughs> like, we, we've got so much data at our hands, right? Um, and what, what I've mm -hmm. built as a, as a prototype and what I'm using currently is a way to track your data and then we can look at the metrics. So we track things like sleep, stress, stimulants, that can be food, alcohol, caffeine, um, and then steps. Four S's really quickly to sort of gauge where you're at. We can just track those four things, and within a week or two, we can track ebbs and flows where you feel stressed, you overeat, or where you uh, feel low in energy because you've been working hard and the stress through your week's been rated high. So looking at trends across just some simple four metrics like sleep, stress, stimulants, and steps is something you can do for free. You literally, everyone has a smartphone these days. Everyone on this podcast would have a smartphone unless you're rolling like uh, oh, the joke is mm -hmm. over in Australia, Nokia 3310 with snake on it. That's showing my age. Hopefully there's some HR professionals <laughs> that will laugh at that because it makes me feel really old now. Um, unless you don't have a smartphone, you, you, you've got this, thing in your hand that can track everything. Um, so I would suggest track those things. Track, track them for, I'd say, 
two weeks to 28 days to get a consistent flow of things. Uh, and be, be cognizant of things like if you've started a new health regime, you are going to feel better for that initial period. And then if you drop off motivation level, <laughs> that's, that's something you need to look at. But track and then pick just the one thing that is the biggest problem in your life or biggest thing you can change without having to like pull apart your whole life. Usually it's sleep, sleep or stimulants. Mm. So we treat under sleep with stimulants to keep us awake, switch us off at night with alcohol, things like that. And then that obviously has that cycle or we ruin our sleep by stimulant intake. And then we treat stress with stimulants, mm. which ruins our sleep. The vicious cycle continues. So huh, just that's, spend that's time there. Yeah, just thinking about it. Spend get the, and the fitness stuff. Don't worry about it. Doesn't matter if you want to go for a walk and get ten thousand steps in. You're going to be in a better position than if you're sitting doing a thousand steps a day at a desk. Um, so track it. Just spend the time tracking it. The self awareness journey. And we talked about my my fitness programs and stuff. It is about building self-awareness for you to modify your own behavior. Because if you think a wellness program given to you by your company is going to solve everything, unfortunately, you're just barking up the wrong tree. It's not the HR or the employer's responsibility to make you healthy. It is their responsibility to create a work environment that promotes well-being, particularly as we're expected because I literally rolled out from bed to my desk this morning as those lines blur <laughs> from home and work. S yeah. Establishing healthy boundaries, what's acceptable, that sort of thing. That is the company's responsibility. But I also know there's environments, which this is probably going to upset a few people, like fast-growth uh, startups or fast-growth companies or uh, high-performance teams, work-life balance does not exist. What you need to do is switch to a mm -hmm. cyclical model of operations where you have peaks and then you get trough, troughs of operations to rejuvenate, like uh, like military operations, essentially. So for high-performing teams, it's a mm -hmm. different application to well-structured nine-to-five business-as-usual type companies. But that is your company's responsibility. That is the HR system to provide the resources, the outreach options, and the ecosystem like you can't actually put a wellness program on top of toxic leadership or poor leadership. So that needs to be addressed. And that is the company's yeah. responsibility. So that, that's the HR remit. Yeah. But then individually, you need to still do the work. And instead of going, all right, Monday starts, I'm going to pay for a gym membership. I'm going to buy a new set of shoes. I'm going to buy new workout gear. If you want to do that, that's okay too. Instead, just sit with it for a bit and go, why am I so tired? Why do I work mm. as much as what I do? And then look at what you're doing uh, and then build the plan that's appropriate for you. Um, so if we don't build those customized journeys with what I like, what I do with my one-to-one -one clients and, and those sorts of things, like for instance, I had an individual who was a busy director in the hospital by one of the government hospital departments in here in Sydney. And right now we're in month three of lockdown and COVID's really, the Delta variant sort of really taking mm. off. He was literally commuting two hours a day to get to work, two hours there, two hours home. And he'd work eight to wow. 10 hours a day in a high pressure role. So he came to me wanting to obviously build some better habit structures around his routine. And I said, all you need to do is focus on moving for 30 minutes before you get in your car. Because if the day goes to 
shit. Apologies for the swearing. Um, if the day goes to the proverbial, you've got that done. Mm. And then the rest of the time, track your food, track your sleep, track your stress. He didn't drink, which is a super easy win. Mm. But by tracking it and working what his cycle was for falling off the bandwagon and getting back on it, which worked out to be about a 14-day window, he'd go really well for 14 days then drop off. Pretty typical. Um, but by giving him custom feedback based on that, he was able to do it. Um, mm. And they're the sort of things you can do, but we started by tracking. It's as simple as that. Self-awareness is the first step to actually achieving any goal you want to achieve. I love that. It really made, I don't know if you saw, I was like looking around. It's because it made me think about what I'm doing, what the hardest part of my day is, what stresses me out. And I was like, yeah, I definitely don't get enough sleep, but you know, is that a problem for me? And like, I guess in the long run it is, but actually what I'm taking away from this is that I have my own self-awareness journey that I can even lead myself on, uh, after this episode, for sure, I will definitely have time after we record to really reflect on this. And I'm sure that the listeners of this episode are going to have that same almost like aha moment. Like, have I stopped to ask myself why, why I'm so tired or why I'm running between the work to extracurriculars to this, to that, and, and feeling burnt out. It's like, no wonder, you know, you're not putting in the time necessarily to figure that out. And I love just to kind of recap what you said that really tracking things and doing, it's really kind of going back to the basics, doing the things that we know we can do that are easily accessible to us and just sticking to it and really figuring out what that root cause is. So I love that. It's, um, it's the tracking thing we should all naturally know when something's not right within our own body and, and from a wellness perspective, but where instead of fighting technology, we need to embrace it because we are numbed with the amount of advertising and the amount of priorities we have in the day. So bringing it back and actually using technology to assist us is really important. It's shifted from the industrial age where people worked for eight hour shifts they came home, they had lives outside of work, but they also left work at work. So applying those models and saying, we need work-life balance, it doesn't exist in most places. Mm -hmm. Particularly also, instead of complaining, if you wanna climb the corporate ladder and, and go hard at your career, you're burning the candle from both ends. That's the only way to get ahead these days. So mm -hmm. instead of fighting it and going, oh no, I just wanna do my eight hours and you wonder why you don't get ahead, if you're driven in career, and you want to build a career, you're going to have to sacrifice things. Yeah. The work-life balance as we traditionally have been brought up and we know it from our parents and whatnot does not exist anymore. Yeah. So instead of fighting it, leverage technology, switch it off when you can, obviously use it to track your data, but if you know you spend too much time on social media, there's all those sorts of things you can do to uh, bring your self-awareness back to the fore and have you feeling a little bit more focused. But that's part of the journey. You've got to track it before you know what you're doing. There's a little app on every smartphone that tells you how much screen time you have every day. Yeah. Start there. Yeah, I love that. Data-driven approach. And this, I think, is probably the best way that we can close out the conversation because all of this discussion around specifically, like, you know, moving, leaving things at work and, you know, work-life balance, that even was more so thrown out the window when we started to work remotely, at least the majority of people, right? Like all, 
work was home and home was work. And I know that a lot of people reached out to me when I actually first started this podcast, that they were having trouble separating the two. And because they're, they're working from their bedroom, because their partner is working from the other room. And we just talked about this offline before that it's, there's this whole song and dance and tango and figuring out which room you're going to sit yeah. in. So I'm here and he's over there or vice versa. Yeah. Um, so and throw some kids into it. Oh and my then you don't gosh. get anything. You know, <laughs> seriously, seriously. I really, th I mean, it is quite the, the job to have kids in this, in this moment where you're working and sleeping and eating in the same place as you're raising your children where they're going to school. I mean, never before have these four walls seen so much activity, I think, but four walls proverbial, of course, I don't have children yet, but regardless, I would love to know, you know, if we were to make a prediction, I often ask guests on my podcast what they predict because I love to almost see this podcast as a, a time capsule in a way. Like if we were to go five years into the future and listen to this episode, did we get it right? Did we predict it? I don't know. So what do you predict will change about corporate wellness offerings and how companies leverage these options or how employees, individuals leverage, leverage these options, especially when it comes to attracting talent? Because I think understanding that there is no more work-life balance, at least not in the definition that we used to have it, and so many people are now always going to be working from home. I just, I, I would love to hear your expert take on what you think could be the case for the future. It's pretty tricky to predict five years in the future. At <laughs> okay, this maybe a year. Pace of development. <laughs> no, we can shoot five years. I've got some pretty bold predictions myself because I'm going to build this wellness app, this ecosystem that uses machine learning to dial into these habits and things like that. There's already people starting to build these things. Um, but I think what we will see you'll see companies that don't require an in-office workforce be able to redistribute costs to these types of programs. Um, they'd be crazy if they didn't, but the companies that still require face-to-face -face workers uh, will, will obviously keep rolling on like people that need to operate machinery and, and people that need to be on site for certain tasks. But I think what we'll see with uh, machine learning and those types of things being used to enhance technology. We'll see more customized approaches to these types of problems. I think with the mental health movement, particularly in Australia, if we're talking the, the visibility, I think military veterans have brought mental health well into the fore. I think that will continue. I think the next group of individuals that will be highlighted for these types of things will be uh, first responders. Mm -hmm. And then I think it will start to stem mainstream to for uh, for people to actually work around their schedule um, based on their own abilities and skills and things like that. So there will be more autonomy, but that will also come with more tracking and abilities for workplaces to monitor what their employees are doing. So I think we'll shift more to a productivity output, let uh, instead of like a an hourly basis. So working for eight hours a day to achieve something you can do in mm -hmm. four. Uh, because if I'm perfectly honest, uh, I think a lot of people don't think they think they work very hard, but a lot of those conversations are taken up with people uh, and, and gathering information because we are communal creatures. Mm -hmm. But product productive work, we also only have a finite amount of time. We can do that before we get fatigued and we're tired. You look at anyone who develops software, I know guys that code brilliantly for two to four hours a day, but then have to then just go and read and learn to keep their skills going. 
because they mentally fatigue and that cognitive load becomes too much. So mm. I think you'll see a more self-directed approach to uh, working, but it'll be measured and tracked by companies, which I think it, companies have every right to track yeah. it if they're paying someone, but as long as it's not pervasive. Mm -hmm. uh, my particular product would have, in five years, would have helped at least a million people. Uh, the data and algorithm will be established. Companies will be able to see their workplace wellness on a HR dashboard, uh, which has got no personally identifiable information mm -hmm. for those data geeks out there. <laughs> but you'll be able to see a snapshot of your company, where you can move the needle, what wellness programs are right for your organisation. And you'll actually be able to help people and make them feel like they're an engaged member of the company and hopefully reduce some of that churn or burnout-related uh, consequence of, of remote or fast-paced operations. I love that. Well, we're sealing the time capsule. In five years, you're going to have to come back, listen to this, and we will literally have to recap. I mean, I hope that you can remember in five years. I certainly hope I can. I'll set like a little calendar invite for myself. Follow up on Brett's goals. Did he achieve exactly what he set out to do? And I'm sure you will. And I feel really inspired actually, because if one day my employer you know, measures my productivity and doesn't make me work an eight hour work day, I will be the happiest person on this planet because I always say this, you know, the amount of work that I can get done in four hours is potentially what some people spend eight hours doing. And I would much rather work using my most productive time, however, whatever that looks like. And obviously sometimes that is varies because I'm in HR and I have fires to put out sometimes, but yeah. in the grand scheme of things on average, I would love that. So I'm really hoping that that prediction comes true. I would be all for it. Let, let me just clarify too. If you yeah. want to take eight hours to produce a good piece of work and that is your work rate, there is nothing wrong with that. Totally. But if you're someone that can do it in four and do it well, you should be allowed to do it and then be able to be rewarded on meritocracy of your work in. Same with someone that does a great job in eight hours, you still get rewarded. Right. But... You're working at your pace around your rhythm to produce a great result. If we yeah. can unlock that, A, we'll feel more rewarded at work and we'll find people can work for 20 hours a week or 30 hours a week and then produce the output that we wanted. And then we can obviously look at giving them a higher salary to take on more work or or giving them their, them their benefits of time and, and those sorts of things. But if we can unlock that, it's going to make people a lot happier to stay in their jobs longer because they go, I feel safe. The uh, Maslow's hierarchy needs, I mm -hmm. feel safe. I feel like I'm contributing. I feel like my employer understands me and lets me do my thing. I produce good work. I yeah. am happy. I love it. That's all we could want for ourselves and each other at the end of the day. And Brett, I really appreciate all of your, your insight into this. I think this is a really fascinating conversation that honestly, I mean, this one episode isn't enough time to really break down all of the nuggets of information that you provided me and the listeners today. So thank you so much for being here. I know that there are places where the listeners can follow you and connect with you. So why don't you tell us, and I will link everything. So before everyone tries to grab a pen and pencil or, you know, open their notepad, don't worry, everything is in the show notes, but Brett, tell us where we can find you. Okay. So on an individual level, if you are struggling, moving well, and getting moving, uh, my website, minimalismfitness.com. And then for your listeners, Tracy, if you go to minimalismfitness.com forward slash HR dash Tracy, 
there will be a free gift for you. It's a mobility program to help offset all those hours at the desk you are all facing at the moment. And then for anyone that'd like to engage at a company level, because we I do do presentations, I do have my prototype up into existence. If you feel like your company needs a an uplift in wellness or would like some data-driven results brought into the company, I am piloting companies at the moment. Uh, so you can reach me on LinkedIn, uh, Brett Turley, you'll be able to find me there, but everything's on the website pretty much. You can find me everywhere. Awesome. Uh, Awesome. And I will link everything. Thank you for the little gift. Actually, it's a big gift. It's not a little gift. I'm looking forward to using it. I know that my listeners will enjoy it as well. And I'll be sure to add everything into the show notes. Like I said, thank you so much for being here. And in five years, we'll come back, maybe even sooner, but in five years, we'll come back and we'll recap this. I hope. That's keeping me accountable. Thanks, Brett. <laughs> Thanks very much. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode and our conversation. Brett is a really interesting person, really interesting guest, I think, to have on. If you want to stay connected to Brett and you want to check out his desk-bound athlete mobility program, which helps you get away from your desk and move more, be sure to click the link in the show notes so you can stay connected with him and check out that program. And as always, I hope you have an amazing week ahead. By the time you listen to this episode, I'm probably already married, which is insane. So I'm looking forward to catching up with you at the next episode next week. Don't forget to subscribe and I will see you 